I'm producing your show, which is uh, which I love. It's a show called Just for Us, and I'm always perplexed about with a movie or a show is how do you explain it to people without giving away what it is. So with Sleepwalk with me, it's like, well, how do I explain that this movie or show is not going to land in me sleepwalking through a window? I mean, that's sort of baked into the title and it's sort of whatever. Mm -hmm. And just for us is like, do you mind if I try and explain it back to you? Please, I would be, I'm like really actually thrilled by that. So what I tell people when I pitch it to them is like, you got to see this guy, Alex Edelman. He wrote this show about this real life experience where um, he's, a Jew, he's a Jewish person and he was accidentally invited online to sort of a white supremacist uh, social gathering. And being the comedian he is and sort of curious of what that life experience would be, he went. Uh, and that's all I'm going to tell you. It's hilarious. It's got a thousand jokes. It's heartwarming. It's sad. It's it's all of the emotions. And uh, I won't tell you anymore. I mean, that's a really good description. It also raises some questions that people are like, well, he was invited and he was... <laughs> yes. People are like, dear Alex Edelman. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Mike Birbiglia. We're back with a new episode of Working It Out. That was the voice of Alex Edelman, comedian, writer, performer, uh, solo show artist. We're talking about his new show, which is called Just For Us. I am presenting it myself at uh, the Cherry Lane Theater in New York City, off-Broadway in the month of December. It's the exact same place where I, I, uh, I produced Jacqueline Novak's show about 18 months ago, Get On Your Knees, which is... Uh, also fantastic, and uh, you can listen to my episode of the podcast with her. Um, but Alex is great. We have a great chat today. You should definitely get tickets to see his show. Also, I should mention, I'm going to be in Denver, Colorado. A few tickets left. Berkeley, California. I'm at Berkeley Repertory Theater with the Old Man in the Pool show for three weeks in January. That theater is incredible. So get tickets for that. Uh, also, Seattle, and if it, it might not be announced yet, but Portland is coming soon. Uh, Charlotte's coming soon. There's a handful of exciting ones. I don't even know what I'm allowed to say. Go to burbigs.com, sign up for the mailing list. <laughs> That's when you'll find out when you're supposed to find out, as opposed to me just riffing on here <laughs> with, with half-truths about my own tour. Uh, but Alex Edelman is great. This show, Just For Us, is phenomenal. It was nominated for Best Show in Melbourne, Australia at the festival. Best Show in Edinburgh is nominated for it. won the Herald Angel Award. He's just a fascinating comedian, very one of a kind. And we have a great conversation. And we begin with something else we have in common today. Enjoy my chat with Alex Adelman. So your dad's a, your dad's a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. My dad's a doctor. Are you trying to heal people with your comedy? <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> this, yeah, I'm trying to heal one guy and it's not going well. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's going so badly. Like, you wouldn't believe. Uh, this guy sucks. He's miserable. <laughs> He's in his kitchen in front of a color-coded bookshelf, but doing his best, you know? That's a riot. <laughs> um, my, I, think, I think I went into it. Do people, would people ever ask you, are your parents okay with what you do? Oh, yeah, sure. Do you have that? Oh, yeah. But also, my dad's like a really great cardiologist with like he's a the long real deal. Yeah. He's like with a long Wikipedia page and people. <laughs> yeah. But it's awful because sometimes people will come up to me after shows and be like, your father is the greatest man. You know, it's like. No, he's so good at being a cardiologist. He has a Comedy Central half hour. <laughs> My dad has a TED Talk. My dad's got like <laughs> does he? Oh, he's got like a real TED Talk, not like a wow. TEDx thing. He's got like a real peppered peppered with jokes. Uh, I wrote one joke for him, and it it did it did it did it did okay. But like it was about how um, they used to say, if you understand syphilis, you understand all of internal medicine. And he said, if you understand Dick Cheney, you understand all of cardiology. Because Dick Cheney's <laughs> had so much, and then he showed some. <laughs> That's good. He showed some graph that got an applause break. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> well, do you know? You know that I was. I have a cardiology joke I'm working on. Maybe I'll ask your dad. Is Please. is um? I've been reading this book called How We Die that my parents had, and it's an old book by a, a physician. And he tells a story about this is the 1950s. A guy was having a heart attack, and all the staff was spoken for, and so the guy, the patient, was going to die. So the doctor took a scalpel, slipped the guy's the patient's chest, took his heart in his hand, massaged his heart to try to revive it. It didn't work. But um, I just thought that that was a really a graphic story. And, uh, and my punchline for it was like, um, talk about the perfect moment to say, um, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> guy walks in. Guy walks, guy walks in, got a dead guy. You got a guy yes. holding a heart. It's not what it looks like. I, I feel oh, like I want to put really that in my funny. show somewhere, but I don't know where exactly. That's so funny. I really like that joke. Sometimes jokes are really just pitched directly to me. <laughs> well, there's another one in that book that was interesting I was reading last night. I don't have a punchline for it. But it's, uh, you know, like, a, like when you go running, a lot of times people go running after not having run in a few years. I go jogging and they get like a Charlie horse in their leg. And, and that Charlie horse is technically sort of a heart attack in your calf. So it's, it's basically being deprived of oxygen and blood. And so it's, it's, it's your body's way of telling you like, stop. <laughs> but, but, but it's, uh, but I don't know what the joke is, but I was like, wow, that's a fat, I'm never, I mean, <laughs> not only have I not thought about it that way, I did not have any idea that those two things were related. The body's, it's, it's so funny, the body's got like five ways of telling you to stop, and one is just, <laughs> it's basically the heart and the brain are the most temperamental. Yes. They're just like, your calves in, you know, your Achilles is very chill. Yes. But, uh, but, your, but your heart and your brain are just like, when, <laughs> they're, they're the divas. They're like, if we don't work, no one works. Oh, that's nice. I love that. Yeah. That's a joke. Maybe I, I might have to ask permission to use that. You can use that. that. Although I've got a about like um, my dad gave me a watch and or actually we were cleaning out my parents' house because they were downsizing, which is a whole long thing that 
is so traumatic than it may be in Edinburgh show. Um, but same, by the way, I've been helping my, my parents downsize as well, and it's a whole thing. Oh, and they just want to like throw it. <laughs> They'll be like, Can we throw this away? I'm like, My birth certificate, you know, like just like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like I want to hold on to that. <laughs> like, uh, I was trying to heighten it, but I'm like, oh, this is the misunderstanding. This is the great misunderstanding of in the comments sometimes on Apple Podcasts. People go, Mike tries to one up his guests. Oh, it's no. like, no, no, no. It's the it's the premise of the podcast <laughs> is working out jokes. It's the premise. If you don't know the premise, then don't comment on the Apple Podcasts. Ugh, oh, oh, Malcolm Gladwell. He's such a goddamn nerd. You know, he's always. <laughs> I think he's so smart with all of his information. Oh, gosh. That's so funny. But I was trying to one-up your birth certificate line, but I actually couldn't. I think it's— I was like, oh, no, that's too perfect. That's exactly it. Because you need it. I haven't said that on stage. Maybe I—, I What about— like, What What about— um? Can we throw this away? My first front tooth? <laughs> My first front tooth. It's not taking so up that funny. much space. It's <laughs> really it's, funny. It's the size of a raisin. Uh, it's and the color of a raisin. <laughs> <laughs> and the color of a raisin. I'm only referencing that, of course, because my daughter's front two teeth came out this week. It's like the most adorable thing that could ever happen in one's life ever. And I've become a complete uh, antithesis of everything I made fun of. I've become the exact person I've made fun of for 90 minutes in my show, The New One. So I dated someone who was a single mother and had a 10-year-old daughter. And um, I convinced her that I had actually gone to college with the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> like it was an acquaintance. Like she was an acquaintance. Like it was okay. someone I knew. And okay. the daughter was never impressed by anything I did, but for some reason she was like, you know the Tooth Fairy? That's, and I was like, that's the one. Yep. I was like, you mean Stephanie? I was like, yeah, I know Stephanie. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, of course I know Stephanie. She's the best. I'm like, she's from Cincinnati. Stephanie had like a backstory, and um, and like I I made a fake text message conversation between me and the Tooth Fairy oh where I was gosh, texting come and on. like, and I deleted. <laughs> I, I if you text yourself on the iPhone, it will make a reply, and so yeah. I, would, I made it seem like a conversation. I deleted the things, made it seem like a conversation. So uh, Violet loses a tooth, and she comes marching in, and she goes, tell Stephanie that I want $100 for my tooth. Oh, my god! And I was like, no. No. I was like, you're getting $10. And she's like, why can't I have $100? And I sat down with a pad and a pen, and I was like, Violet, here's how many children there are. Here's how many teeth there are in the world. Here's the per here's the market value of a tooth, like it's a supply and demand problem. And the mother is looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're trying to rationalize. And I'm like, you can't get a hundred dollars a tooth because this is what it would cost a tooth fairy to buy. The economy like, can't support it. Yeah, the the economy can't the basic supply and demand problem. Yeah. And uh, too many she, teeth, too many teeth, not enough currency. Yeah. It's like it would ruin the it would bring down the global economy. <laughs> <laughs> and Violet, Violet just muttered something and walked away. And then I walk back into the kitchen about an hour later and she's holding my phone. And I'm like, Violet, what are you doing? And she had been texting the tooth fairy. And of course, when you text on the iPhone your own number, it just texts you back what you texted. 
So I'm like, the jig is up. And she looks at me and she screams, Stephanie's mocking me. Oh my gosh. She thought that she was texting the tooth fairy like, I want $100 for my tooth. The tooth fairy was like, I want $100 oh, for I my tooth. I want $100 for my tooth, yeah. Did you, have you done that on stage? No, I've never talked about it. That's a great one. I mean, you got, is it in your notebook? Yeah, it's in my okay. notebook somewhere. But may, you know, maybe one tag would be like, uh, and sorry to one-up you. Go ahead, I'll leave a comment. I'll leave a comment. <laughs> if, uh... um, she was like, well, do you know Santa Claus? And you're like, Nick? Of course, he was in my class. <laughs> of course, my advisor. He's my advisor. <laughs> Professor Nicholas? Professor Nicholas? <laughs> of Professor, course. He's a saintly, saintly man, you know? <laughs> a little bit of a discrimination problem. He's a saintly man. <laughs> so corny. So this is called The Slow Round, and you listen to the show. It's just sort of memories from childhood, advice, things, things that, uh, that stuck with you. Um, do you remember a smell from childhood that's particularly good or bad? Yes. Um, I remember the smell of, uh, ugh, this is so unforgivably Bostonian, but I, I, the Fenway Park has a unique smell to me okay. that um, sometimes I dream about. Like I literally will smell. It's a combination of the uh, grass there, the blue, Kentucky mm-hmm. bluegrass, and um, the smoke from the hot dogs and the peanuts and other ballparks don't have the same smell. I love Fen- I love Fenway Park. I mean, it's I, 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 I it's a gorgeous, gorgeous field between Fenway and Wrigley. Oh I yeah, mean, those two parks are just. If if anyone is listening to this, haven't haven't visited those parks, even if you don't like baseball, it's yeah. pretty spectacular. It's a good night out. It's a good date. It's a good father because baseball was designed for. Night for early 20th century parents who didn't want to look at their kid when they spoke to them. So they're just. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, is that of the official uh, reason? Yeah, sure. Why they no, invented no, baseball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, so uh, keep your eye on the ball. So, how's school? Uh... <laughs> keep your eye on the ball. Oh, keep your eye on the ball. That's why hiking, talking on a hike is so good. If you're a West Coaster or got to keep your f- eyes on your feet. Yeah, got to keep your eyes on your feet and your hands on your hips. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That sorry. Is, that's so funny. Yeah, because it's almost unnerving when you look into someone's eyes. It's like Jesus Christ, they're looking into my eyes. It takes a lot of pressure off the. Uh, I do have a joke that I've done on stage about baseball. I've never said that about baseball about how it was designed for parents who didn't want to look at their. That's kids, a riot. Write that down. I'm going to, but it's. Um, Baseball is a great sport if you like an hour of excitement stretched out over the course of two and a half years. That's very funny. I mean, it always gets a laugh, but it always feels a little bit, a little bit cheap to me. Even though I do love doing the the joke, because well, I think you could ha- you could pair it with the dad thing. I mean, the thing is, is like the thing about avoiding eye contact to me tells more of a wider story that's more personal. Yeah, I mean, av- it really. Um, I, I just though remember going to my first game in August of 1995 and I'm six years old and I'm holding my grandma's hand and I'm smelling baseball and, um, 
It was such a, and, and by the way, I got to work at the Red Sox when they broke the curse. I was 15 years old working for wow. the team when they broke the curse in 2004, and I stayed there until 2007. And uh, then I spent two years at the Dodgers in, from 2008 to early 2010, and I was convinced that I would work in baseball my whole life and that I wouldn't be a comic. What was your job? I worked in fan services and PR. I wrote press releases and speeches. The last, um, the thing I'm most proud of writing, actually, I don't think I've ever mentioned this ever um, in a public way, but um, the thing I'm most proud of writing is, or helping out with, is after the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013, I went back to the Red Sox for about two weeks, and uh, I helped write the pregame speech for the first Red Sox game back after the marathon bombing. Oh, but wow. uh, but of all the like punch up and weird ghost writing I've ever done, that's the one that's meant the most to me, and it's got not a joke in it. So, you know, sorry, it's so earnest. Like maybe no, I don't no, know, maybe, I like that. I like the earnestness. Um, do you have a memory on a loop from childhood where it's not a story, but it's just something that always sticks with you? I, I have, uh, I have lots. I have loads, but. Um, First of all, I rollerbladed everywhere as a kid. <laughs> Me too, same. I rollerbladed everywhere. And that's, once that's, that's, that's weird and dorky and awkward. I rollerbladed into the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Oh, gosh. And, and three security guards came to get me, and they didn't touch me. They just escorted me out of the museum with oh, their wow. hands not they, touching yeah, me. They rolled you out. And it would have been so much worse if they... It's so much worse than if they didn't touch me because I was like under my own power, but I couldn't go too fast. Yeah. And like, I just thought I could do it for some reason. Yeah, I was sure. like, yeah, you know, I'll just come in and roll it in like yeah. the stairs of everybody else. And like, <laughs> and then I tried to come back into the museum in my socks holding my rollerblades. And they were like, please go home. <laughs> like, you cannot. <laughs> so I just remember the young woman at the desk being like, uh, I'm sorry. Like, just come back another day. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, clearly you live locally. Like, you don't yeah. just like, please, uh, please don't do this. Like, you know. Do you remember an inauthentic version of yourself? Yeah. I, I, I saw you. I remember you asked Neil Brennan that question. And um, and I, I think about, it's the number one question I think about in my day-to-day life. Sure. I get that. Like it's the number one question, <laughs> like, or a version of it. And yeah. all of my favorite work is about people trying to become themselves. Um, right. So much of solo art, solo comedy is the just figuring out who you are and to figure out who you are, it's it's helpful to figure out who you aren't. But but yeah, an inauthentic version of myself, always. I always, uh, I live one now. Like um, an authentic version of me that didn't care what anyone else thought would be a very confusing and oddly dressed human being. I think yeah. he'd, he'd wear a yarmulke, he'd, um, but not have to answer any questions about it. Um, he, <laughs> I, I am a, uh, I think every day I try to become a little bit more of one. Um, but you know, in 2016, I remember being like, I really am an authentic version of who, who I am. Sure. Of course. And then in 2018, I looked back on that, uh, journal entry and I was like, that guy was lying, you know? And so why? Like, but why? Because first of all, 
what's that thing about the nature of being observed changes the an object being observed changes the nature of the object yeah and so based on who's observing you and what time you are in, become an inauthentic you know you become an inauthentic version of of yourself but back then um i think i was trying to um i think i was trying to hide how anxious uh i was with I think I would say anything to anyone. And I've got a lot of anecdotes from that time uh, where I would just say to someone, like, you're not very nice, are you? Oh, or gosh. something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who did you say that to? Um, so there was a uh, – I was, I was at a social gathering once, and there was a child of a famous person there, and there was a fire in the backyard of this social gathering. And the famous person's um, – uh, the the famous person had caused the death of um, of in some onset accident had caused someone's death by via an unnecessary explosion. Oh wow! And um, oh, just to clarify for the listeners, we're we're actually not talking about a recent film tragedy. This is from a long time ago. Yes, um, his kid was behaving badly and trying to scare some of the girls around the fire by throwing alcohol into this fire and making an explosion. And I said, you think you know from your dad that this kind of thing is a bad idea or something like that. And the thing is, I'm not really, (laughs) I'm not really that guy, but I wanted to be that guy, you know, like. The sort of cavalier whipping off lines. Cool. Yeah, but it it the guy wheeled on me, and he said, um, and this guy's a famous scumbag himself now. So he said, uh, "Hey, uh, how many people do you know at this party? Because I know everybody at this party, and oh, wow. you know, and you know one person here." And I was like, "That's true Good story. Good but, story." But the thing is, he was right, <laughs> and like a real cool guy would have been like, "Hey, I don't care," but like I cared a lot, and oh, wow. I wilted and um the the real the real but the thing is you go in an authentic version of you the authentic version of me is a bit of like a shrinking violet and like a bit of a guy who i'm like eh, you know by the way there sometimes people see the show the nazi show just for your us sh- your show, my yeah, show just for us yeah and um afterwards they go boy there's a lot of apologizing in your show. <laughs> and That's I'm like, funny. it's true. And for a while, you know, I, I had a session with Seth, uh, Mike. Seth Barish, my director, yeah. Seth Barish. And there was one moment in the show where I had put in what I wish I'd done instead of what I really did. Yeah. Or I put in something that they did to justify my la- my lack of, you know, strong reaction. And Seth sussed it out immediately, and I um, – and it's one, sometimes it takes me a couple of shows to implement a change because it takes me a minute to work up the courage. But I I changed it the next night. I was like uh, – and audiences laugh because um, the funny thing is audiences can sense an authentic you in every single – Word and by the way, there's still like for craft reasons, like for climax reasons, I wish something more climactic happens in that one moment in the show. But like, you know, like the real me is a guy who apologizes a lot. 
So, so there, it's funny, the other night I listened to, and it's something I recommend to the listeners, I always recommend, like, things about writing Mary Carr's book. Love that uh, book. The Anne Lamott book that Gary Goleman recommended, Bird by Bird. The new one that I'm going to recommend is Zadie Smith's Talk for the New Yorker. That's an audio, it's a one-hour audio book called How to Fail Better. And, oh, it's great. First of all, she taught you, she was your professor, yeah. writing professor at NYU, and I know that. But um, this is a great talk because, and it speaks to what we're talking about right now. She basically talks about how, <laughs> like, every author essentially finishes their novel or the book, whatever they're writing, and they have this moment of, oh, my gosh, I'm a fraud. This isn't telling the real story. This isn't telling the truth, right? And then they hand it in because they have to, and then they get feedback from someone where they go, people go, it's great, it's authentic, it's true. <laughs> and then they internalize that, and then they it dispels all of their trepidations. But actually, the trepidations were right. Yes, yes. And I was like, that sent shivers down my spine. I was like, A, she's right. B, that's me. <laughs> C, that's every, every writer I know. But you know what? People... I have a weird analog to that, which is where I I used to have a joke with my brother AJ, where I go, you know, AJ and I uh, are twins, uh, or we look like twins, because my brother AJ is a year and a half younger than me, or almost two years younger than me, but we looked exactly alike growing up. And after a while, a comic I respect was like, just say you're fucking twins. Like, it's so much just... So I did a joke about having this twin brother. And I did on Conan. And every couple of days, I would get an email from twins. No way. Going, so nice to see. And I'd have to oh, write. That's devastating. This it's is devastating. Devastating. I, <laughs> my inner organs are cringing in my body right now. It's awful. It's truly bad. And I wish I hadn't done it. My my gallbladder is tingling right now. Oh, it's truly, it's truly bad. But the funny thing is, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do oh, about God. it. But I always correct the record when anyone I've never written. Thank you so much. I'm always like, I have to tell you, I'm not a twin. Oh my gosh! But for a while, I was like, Alex Edelman in air quotes has a twin, but Alex Edelman, like, it's such an insane. I feel like this is the right time to tell the listeners. I didn't jump through a second story window sleepwalking. <laughs> no. You did it, but it wasn't in Walla Walla. It was in like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was in it's Spokane. In yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is the biggest. It's the biggest lie I've ever told on a stage, and and I hate it. Um, but also, um, eh, like yeah. it's it's a stand up uh, thing, and and I used to say that um, you start with the truth and then you edit. So this is the part of the show where we work on jokes. I have a whole bunch of jokes. I'm very excited to talk to you about jokes because whenever we talk on the phone, you're you're similarly obsessed with jokes. Obsessed. In the way that I am. I I I love I love your jokes. 
I love writing jokes. I love watching other people's jokes. I love retelling other people's jokes. Me too. Um, so anyway, I'm just going to get to it. Um, I woke up the other day with amnesia, not the permanent kind. <laughs> the three and a half minute version where I think, where am I, New York? What year is it? 2021. What's my deal? I'm a dad and a husband and maybe something else, but I forget. <laughs> and I had to check what year it was on my Apple Watch, which didn't exist in any of the years I thought it might be. So that was a hint. I looked down, I glanced at my Apple Watch and thought, I'm in the future. <laughs> it's honestly, it's not even a joke yet, but it's, a f- sometimes this is where jokes for me start. It's a feeling. It's like an experience. It's sort of a slow round answer. Sure, but can't you see where the jokes go? Right? Like, I don't know. Um, where, where do you think the joke goes there? I think the hitting hard, what's my deal? <laughs> what's my deal? Yes. I think what's my deal is such an informal thing. <laughs> like if, <laughs> if you came to and the doctor was like, what's your name? And you're like, my Birbiglia. And you're like, and he's like, what year is it? And you're like, 2021. Like, who's the president? And you're like, depends who you ask. And you're like, yeah, he's fine. But like, who's the <laughs> president? Funny. And you're like, Joe Biden. And he's like, what's your deal, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think what's your your deal? deal? What's your deal is a a key question. Actually, I'll ask you about yourself and I'll ask you about me what you think my deal is because I wrote this other joke on the heels of that other joke, which is I asked my friend Nikki Glazer on this show how she would describe me. uh, And she said, uh, she said, you're you're kind of sad. And I told my other friend Chris about this and he goes, she's right. You're very sad. And I said, she didn't say very. <laughs> and and so uh, uh, so the people around me either think I'm sad or very sad. But they only tell me by accident. <laughs> and uh, when people ask my mom if I'm funny, she says, no, he's very serious. So I'm serious, sad, and very sad, depending on who you talk to. And... I asked my my wife, Jen, I go, Chloe, what would be the first (laughs) adjective you would use to describe me? And she said, urgent and earnest. I would use the adjective thoughtful. Oh, that's so nice. But hold on. Thoughtful people are never happy. (laughs) That's right. Of course not. Because there's too many sad things to think about. Yeah. If you're thoughtful and happy, you're stupid. So, (laughs) so (laughs) Oh, no. Thoughtful doesn't mean you're smart. The letters are coming. The letters are coming based on that line. If you're thoughtful and happy, what are you thinking about? The Apple Podcast reviews are going to come at you for that. I mean, I don't – by the way, there is a lot of stuff to be – like, I'm one of those people that when it comes down to it, I'm an optimist. Like, I'm overjoyed to be alive given the amount of – Given the amount of ice cream that's here. That's so funny. But sometimes words aren't always, uh, I think picking apart what a word actually is or what it actually represents is always like a really sick way to go with a joke, like always really fun and uh, really useful. Yeah, but maybe, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just like, I was going to say like sad, happy, or nice don't really mean anything anymore um, because we've, uh, because of nice inflation has. um, Nice inflation, I think is is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Nice inflation. Uh, 
quote unquote great inflation. Oh yeah, great, great is thrown around way too much. Exactly. People go like he's the he's the nicest guy in the world. Where that now means if someone's like he's a nice guy, I'm like, oh, he's your worst enemy. Right. <laughs> like, that's it's, a, a, it's like yeah. Remember when beautiful used to mean something? Oh yeah, they're gorgeous. They're hot. They're oh they're, gorgeous. You know, Gorgeous. They're so gorgeous. They're stunning, you know. Right. It's like what – I mean, honestly, at this point with words, we've been, <laughs> we've done great inflation on, on adjectives so much that literally you have to say exquisite at this point. Oh, yeah. a compliment. A thousand percent or exquisite. Perfect. perfect or exquisite. Perfect. Perfect even. Perfect even you go. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. Oh, they're perfect? Really? They're – they're not perfect, it's a, but you're right. That's a really— He was just being nice when he said perfect. <laughs> He's just being a nice guy. That nice guy yeah, said yeah. she was perfect, but yeah. But I actually think she's a little bit sad. Uh, I think there's but, a lot oh, of but stuff building, there. Uh, building on what you're saying, I'm sorry about what— uh, maybe that's the joke, is um, she said, I'm uh, my friend, Nikki. She, she goes, you're, you're sad. And— um, uh, and I think another way of describing that is uh, I'm right. <laughs> of course I'm sad. Because I can see because I can look around and see how sad things are. Yes. I'm not sad, I'm perceptive. There's a difference. <laughs> it is a hard balancing act though, you know, because you know, Jen's a poet and I'm a comedian, and it's like two people in a house whose whole job, your literal your job is to have these antennae that are very sensitive. That are discerning what's going on around you at a very in a, the the subtlest of ways, and so then when something really serious happens, it's like feels like an earthquake. Oh yeah, of course. That's really I think that's really smart. But sometimes I think the scale warps things in the sense where sometimes small things seem huge, and sometimes huge things seem small. What a, do you have a bit that you're working on right now? That's oh, unfinished? I've got a couple. What do you got? Uh, there's n- someone keep. I keep hearing the same cultural anecdote about Keanu Reeves showing up at a wedding as an example yeah, of how I've great a guy Keanu Reeves is. I'm like, not if you're another guy at the singles table. <laughs> it's like you're sitting there at a wedding. Oh, Your gosh. name is Ted. You've worn a tie. You're looking oh, for love. Gosh. And you see the nameplate next to you. You're like, oh, Keanu, that's interesting. The only other time I've heard that name. Oh, no. Um, yeah, and then yeah, he comes crazy. to next to you and you're like, hi, I'm Ted. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And he's like, and Keanu's like, oh, your name's Ted? I play, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. And he's like, uh, what do you do? And Ted's like, I'm a computer programmer. And he's like, I played a computer programmer, but uh, the character was also God. So, you know, like. That's funny. But like, it's a, I don't know just how much, like with, with you know, sort of scenes, I'm never sure how, how, how much you should or would want to paint. You know what I mean? Like. Sure. Something like it. So I, I don't know if it's got, if it's got I feel like it's, there. I, I feel like it, it, uh. To, to earn its keep in like a show like yours that's personal, 
you'd have to find like what is the what's the thing that hurts you about it? Oh what's yeah, the thing yeah, that yeah. Feels personal to you. I think it could be better if it if it was about you in some way. You just are. Turned- you have fixed a lot of my jokes when we talk where I'll pitch you a joke like this and you'll be like, yeah, but how does it relate to you? And it's hard, it's been hard for me because like I said earlier, you know, my comedy is pretty voyeuristic. And so sometimes my jokes aren't necessarily observations, but they're about, about, about me through the way that I see other people. And like I had a joke I was trying to work out for something about um, a Carrie Underwood song called Jesus Take the Wheel. Yes. And I... I found the punch, and now I'm using it as my closer when I do uh, stand-up sets because you're like, how does it relate back to you? I describe all of the Jesus Take the Wheel song, and then I go, and then on the front end of the joke, even before I talk about it, I talk about my personal experience right now getting more religious. But but the joke is um, I got more religious over the course of the pandemic. Uh, I, I watch a lot of television, and then... One day I was like, I've got some big questions about why we're all here. And then I blacked out. And then three weeks later, I was keeping kosher again. And (laughs) I said, it's so frustrating, though, because Christians have a guy. Yeah. And Jews, you have to guess. You're just like, oh, is he kind? Is he vengeful? Is he merciful? Are we his Mm. chosen people? The track record does not suggest that we are the chosen people. Also, like, is Whoopi Goldberg Jewish? What's going on there? And also, like, is there there a, um, is it like, is it a man because we're created in his image? Or is it like the force from Star Wars? You like got to tap into something that's bigger than than you. And like, what do you do? And then Christians are just like, He's a brunette. Uh, and you're like, what? He's a brunette. His name's Jesus. And uh, he loves fish and wine and hates tables. And yeah. the uh, night before he died, he had dinner with 12 friends or 11 friends in Judas. And, um, oh, also he's ripped. And then there's like a little side, and then there's a little sidetrack about Jesus um, being ripped where I kind of, um, everyone's, I've heard a lot of versions of people being like, Jesus is ripped, but I, um Sorry, I'm sidebarring now, but I go, uh, people go, and he's ripped. And I'm like, he's ripped? And I'm like, that's not in the book. You guys put that in later. And I I Googled, I Googled, there's a group of Christians in Spain who prefer a more heavyset Jesus. If you've never seen Botero paintings, please Google them for a Jesus who's really serving you some Zach Galifianakis vibes. Oh, that's so funny. And then there's a line I'm debating whether or not it's lazy because it kills, but I don't know. I said, just paintings were with heavyset Jesuses where the nails are doing so much work. Wow. But I love that joke. I But see where the, um, but that's the prelude I go. I became obsessed with a song called Jesus Take. I wrote that because yeah. you said you need to relate this next part back to you. I said. Oh, wonderful. I said, I wrote, I said, I'm obsessed with this song called Jesus Take the Wheel. And um, it's by this woman, Carrie Underwood, America's Poet Laureate. And it's about a woman <laughs> who's driving <laughs> Driving on a Friday on her way to Cincinnati on a snow white Christmas Eve, and she's driving home to see her mother and her father with a baby in the back seat. And she's got 50 miles to go, and she's running low on faith in gasoline. And sometimes I'll sing it, depending yeah. on how I feel. And I said, and, and I do all the lyrics. She's got her baby in the back seat, and yeah. she's, and then the chorus is Jesus take, she lifts her hands off the wheel. She starts to slide on black ice, and she lifts her hands off the wheel, and she's like, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands. And that now I'm definitely singing on stage. 
Yeah. Uh, and and Jesus takes the wheel and he drives her and that baby to safety. And that is not how it works for the Jews. That's funny. I'm like, if you're Jewish and you start sliding up black ice, you die on impact. And then you get to oh, heaven gosh. and God is like, what? were you thinking? And oh you're like, gosh. I put my faith in you. And he's like, when has that ever worked for you people? Oh my gosh, I love that joke. But it's because you were like, relate that back to you personally. I find that the jokes that I write to justify the jokes that I want to do become yeah. the better jokes. You know, like, I love well, we to- all, yeah. we, all need, we all need joke-loving friends and writing and writerly friends. Like you, you and Hannah- Einbinder came to my show at City Winery recently. Yes. I didn't even tell you this. You gave me a line. I had like five minutes on Jesus. I swear to God. And and you and Hannah go, uh, you could cut that joke at the 92nd mark because everything after that is lateral to how much you're peaking at 90 seconds. And I made that change and it's a hundred times better. And there's three and a half minutes on the cutting room floor and it's and it's good and it's gone. Can I talk for a quick second off that about so about like the the like I was saying earlier that solo shows are different than stand up comedy hours and that's a perfect example of for me I think the number one bit of craft advice that um, that I got from um, I work with a dramaturge in the UK named Adam Brace and he helps me with my jokes and he says that. Because people like you and I, Mike, love jokes so much, sometimes you will just write jokes. Yeah. And sometimes the momentum that you – he calls them barnacles. I call them clag. Um, <laughs> sometimes the momentum that you lose as you do jokes on a premise you've already introduced are not worth the momentum that you – like the laughs sure. aren't worth the momentum that you lose. And because we're writers and we love jokes and we love to write more, sometimes it's really, really hard because you're like, well, it's getting laughs. But sometimes yeah. it loses momentum. Yep. And so like you know, it's those are like really tough decisions to make, especially when you're like doing – like all of the Jesus stuff was getting laughs. It was getting really good laughs That's from hilarious. the audience. But it was it was the momentum that you because like I know Mike Birbiglia. There's going to be another there's going to be another new idea that's very fun around the corner. And I think with our attention spans now, I think you introduce an idea and the audience is like, "Got it, love this. Next idea, please. Got it, love this. Next idea, please." Like I think that's yeah. the way all of stand up comedy is working right now. Sorry, that's a long thing, but that's well, you know, yeah. I, we could go we could go into this all day, but I think we should stay on. Just Let's stay yeah. on bits. So, yeah. um, so this is uh, <laughs> this is something I'm completely. Uh, this is in the cardiology universe. <laughs> My dad has had three heart attacks in his life. He's still alive, still kicking, doing well. When the third one happened, he was at the hospital working because he's a doctor. He walked in the ER and he said, "I'm having a heart attack," <laughs> which is like a fireman walking into work and saying, "I'm on fire." Yes. And 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 the new line is um, I think it was Socrates who wrote "Know Thy Heart Attack." He he didn't he didn't say that, but he did say the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing, and that's exactly how much I know is uh, uh, nothing, which is sad and possibly very sad. And but it's not urgent because uh, there's no urgency in knowing 
more things if you're ultimately still going to know nothing. Or at least that's what Socrates would say, and I'll take his word for it because he's only got that one name, like Prince or Madonna. Um, That takes a lot of confidence to walk into a party and say, hi, I'm Socrates and I know nothing. I'm sorry, who? Socrates, I'm on the list. How do you spell that? Uh, S's in Socrates and the rest of the word Socrates? Wait, are you Socrates? Yeah, that's what I've been telling you. Oh my God, I'm so sorry, Socrates. I used to uh, not read your books when I was in college, but I totally had them. And Socrates is like, thanks. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Socrates. Go right in. Can I get you something? And then Socrates says, worthless people live only to eat and drink. People of worth eat and drink only to live. And then he walks into the party, and the bouncer says, that guy is so serious (laughs) and sad. (laughs) Wow. I mean, here's, here's the thing. First of all, it's great. Like it's full. Of, I'm and I'm like, do I even want to pitch jokes to the back and forth between Socrates and the bouncer? Well, talk to me about talk to me about the experience of that whole chunk because I basically pitched you a chunk of stuff. Today. I like so I like so here's here's what I'd cut um, the the sort of middle bit the know nothing bit for a while. Okay. Yeah, I'd cut some of yeah some of that, but besides it, I followed it really well. And it seems, obviously it follows on from the thoughtful and sad thing from Nikki, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, does it like the Socrates? So I feel like there's that part of the bit and then there's the Socrates bit, which could exist independent from you. Um, how does it tie back to your dad having a heart attack though? Right? Like, does that, yeah, I think that's a good point. That's a good point. How do we return to the heart attack? And I think that that's Socrates walks into the party and the bouncer says, that guy is so serious and sad. And then Socrates had a heart attack. It was a very sad story. I thought where it was going to go <laughs> was if you know nothing, what's the quote? If you. Oh, uh, knowing. he, I think he says knowing God. Um, it starts to start about 20. No, the heart attack is the joke. And then the only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing, which is a quote I love, by the way. The only truism is knowing you know nothing. But if you know that you're having a heart attack, being able to walk into a hospital ward immediately helps. Like It is practical. Yeah, it is practical. <laughs> that's like, very funny. That's where I thought that's, it was going. I love that. I love that. So we end on a segment called Working It Out for Our Cause. Is there an organization that you appreciate that I will contribute to myself and encourage people to contribute to themselves, and we'll link it in the show notes. Um, I there are so many worthy uh, causes, and uh, I thought about this uh, a lot. Uh, one of the causes that I love is the Children's Defense Fund, which is um, founded by Marion Wright Edelman. No relation to me, uh, sadly, but she is uh, she is a a pioneer in the field of standing up for uh, uh, for children who both like you know, legally and materialistically, like they have been supporting families and children uh, in poverty through, uh, for since the seventies and through COVID and they've got a long and storied history and uh, very little, uh, they spend very little of their money on overhead. They actually put a lot of their, like it's good bang for your buck. So, so I, I would highly encourage folks to uh, donate to the children's defense fund and I love them. Well, I'm going to contribute to them, and I'm going to encourage others to as well. Um, 
So thanks for coming on today. If people want to find out more about your show that I am producing in New York at the Cherry Lane Theater, which is really the one of the best places to see a show. I produced a show there that Jacqueline Novak did, Get on Your Knees. Um, I've done, I did my show, the new one there. It's like one of, honestly, it's like 160 seats, not a bad seat in the house, like a spectacular theater experience. And Alex's show is tremendous. I couldn't recommend it uh, more highly. Uh, if you want to know more about that, uh, follow him on Instagram at Alex Edelman or me at Verbigs uh, or sign up for my uh, mailing list because that's sort of how I get the word out about all this stuff um, on Verbigs.com. But Alex, uh, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being my associate. And uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I love this podcast. It has made me a better writer listening to it and um, uh, and a better joke teller and a better comic. And it's raised my standards. And so I like... Thanks so much for having me, and, and, and in every respect of the word. And so. we can only hope that as people leave the theater, they'll go, that was beautiful, Alex. I know which line Berbiglia tagged. <laughs> that was beautiful. I'm like, wait, do you mean is it beautiful? Or are you being nice? What's, uh... <laughs> Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out with Alex Edelman. Once again, go to alexedelmancomedy.com. Get tickets for his off-Broadway show, Just For Us. Runs through most of December. Uh, you can follow him, him at Alex Edelman in all the places that one follows. Where <laughs> Follow him at Alex Edelman in all the stalking places where you stalk people. Uh, our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, sound recordist Parker Lyons, associate producer Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks, as always, to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. They're on tour right now. They're rocking it really hard. I saw them in Texas. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet and introvert, Jay Hope Stein. Our book, the new one, is in paperback now at your local bookstore. I just started doing reels on Instagram. I just posted a reel of me and me and Jay Hope Stein walking through a field talking about being an introvert and an extrovert. So you can join me at, at for Biggs on Instagram. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who helped create a radio fort. And thanks most of all to you who have listened. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies about the darn podcast. Nothing enemies love hearing about more than your favorite podcast. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. Throw some stars our way. In the meantime, we're going to be here. We're going to be working it out. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>